Now, what am I good at? I can shred on the drums, and I'm a marketing whiz. Okay, Venom, reel it in. Reel it in this time, all right? Reel it in. Reel it in, slow and steady. He does reel it in this time. It'll be a leg away from the world title. I'm Parker Dietz. I'm Tom Logan. And you're listening to Reel It In, the podcast for marketers who like other stuff too. On today's episode, Tom and I are joined by the amazing Ebony Bell. Ebony is the founder and editor-in-chief of Tag Magazine. She serves as a Coley advisor, and she's the go-to woman for all things DEI. As more and more brands are placing more importance on DEI initiatives, we're lucky to be joined by Ebony to learn a little bit more about why DEI is important for business and how brands can go about showcasing diversity and inclusion in thoughtful and intentional ways. Ooh, this was a good one. Always so fun hanging out with Ebony. Without further ado, here's our conversation with Ebony Bell. I'm Parker Dietz. Joined, as always, by the illustrious Tom Logan. And today we have a very special guest, Ebony Bell. Ebony, how are you today? I am doing great. How are you both doing? I'm doing fantastic. Better now that you're here. Good, good. Thanks for having me. Of course, of course. For those who don't know Ebony, she's the founder and editor-in-chief of Tag Magazine. But on on top of that, she's known as the go-to woman for LGBTQ marketing, branding, advertising, advocating. Um, And Forbes referred to her as an inspiring Black entrepreneur changing our world. And we tend to agree. Um, And very exciting for us. She's recently joined as an advisor at Coley. So we get to hang out with her a lot more. Um, You know, sometimes maybe that will annoy her a little bit, but we are very, we're very happy to have her on board here. Before we get into some of the topics that we're going to focus on later in the episode, I wanted to hear a little bit more about how you came to start TAG. Um, It seems like kind of a a shift from maybe your previous experiences. Um, I want to understand what really inspired you to to go out and and start that magazine. It's a a great question. Uh, And I'm going to try to give you a very abridged version of of how my journey, I guess, has brought me to TAG magazine. Uh, So I used to work at the Chronicle of Higher Education. I majored in advertising. Um, I also did some journalism way before tag. Uh, and if you had told me even maybe 10, 15 years ago that I'd be running a magazine, I would not believe you at all. But I do feel like all of my uh, talent and resources and things like that led me to this point. So it was when I was working at AARP in 2011, 2012, I realized that our LGBTQ publications here in uh, DC, so I'm here in Washington, DC. So we first started off local. The magazine is a national uh, brand now, but here in DC, our other magazine and newspaper completely catered to uh, white gay men. To the point when I first started the magazine, I remember my first presentation I gave to talk about tag the queer women's community, I literally picked up one of those magazines. I didn't even look at it. On the way to the presentation, I gave it to someone at the beginning and I said, you know, count the number of men you see in the first 10 pages. Then I want you to go back and count the number of women you see in the first 10 pages. It was 33 men and three women. And literally I said, this is why I started Tag Magazine. It's all about visibility and representation. Um, I know that how important it is for young people 
to see people who look like themselves, right? No matter who you are, how you identify. Uh, and I just thought, wow, I'm not seeing anyone who looks like me. I'm not seeing any queer women. Uh, I'm not seeing trans women. I'm not seeing queer women of color. And our stories are important. You know, they are just as important as anybody else's. Uh, and I'm a big believer if you don't see someone doing something or creating something, or you don't want to wait for somebody to tell your story, then you go ahead and do it yourself. Uh, because we can't wait to, uh, you know, or can't afford to wait for somebody to tell our story, because then we would be here all day. Uh, so I left uh, my nice cushy job at ARP to start a print publication and a website. Uh, I have to say print because people are always like, what made you do print <laughs> when everything is like moving digitally, but I, I still believe that something about people loving to have that, you know, magazine on their coffee table or reading it on the train. And we get those messages, which is super cool. Um, so anyway, I, I started it because I just wanted to see us represented. Uh, that's what it came down to. Uh, and the name tag is because I wanted a name that said connection. Uh, and so, you know, linking women, connecting women, uh, you know, LinkedIn was taken. Ebony Magazine was taken. So I was like, okay, what says connection? And I thought about the game of tag because when you play the game of tag, you have to reach out and touch someone. And I was like, boom, that's it. So um, yeah, the tag was born uh, August, 2012. And we have, I believe we've done a fantastic job of telling thousands and thousands of stories, uh, providing great resources. Uh, we've done events to bring our community together. Uh, and yeah, we've grown locally. I'm sorry, we started locally and then now we've grown nationally. So we are bi-monthly in print. We have a growing website uh, and we have two podcast shows as well. Let's hang out and homo ground. <laughs> the gayest names ever. So yeah, that's a, a long story short or kind of short story long. Yeah, no, I mean, I was I was spending the, this week on the, on the website. It's such a variety of like fun content, different formats. It's, it's really built out and, and it seems like it's, it's really reached new heights since, since back in, in 2012. That's a inspiring story. And, and it's actually a perfect segue into, into the rest of the, into the rest of the show. So a lot of companies right now, and it's been going on for, you know, the past several years is there's a lot of not only studies, but publicity around this idea of, of improving diversity and inclusion within organizations. Um, there's, there's data that points to performance improvements across the board for, for corporations. And then there's also, you know, just this more openness and, and movements like yours and like, and like Tag Magazine that are, that are working towards making the workplace more equitable and, and more diverse and more inclusive. So I guess just very plainly and broadly is, is why is DEI important for businesses right now? I always, when I speak to people, I always say diversity is the future. Uh, and that is literally my answer. And what I mean by that is, I think, and I know we'll get into a little bit about maybe some pushback or companies that maybe aren't so quick to adopt it. I'm a big believer uh, that any company should change with the times and any company should look like the world that they serve. And if you're not doing that, you're not going to succeed, period. I think it's important if you want to do good business and you want to succeed in business, 
you can't serve a community of people if those people aren't in-house. I remember I was on a panel a long time ago and another, it was a media panel and there was another gentleman, actually, I, I will not say the name of the publication, we won't do that, from another publication and he was, they were being called out. And they were specifically being called out because their staff is all white, no people of color at all, no trans folks, and it was maybe a 50-50 split gender-wise. But they have caught hell from, you know, uh, articles they've written on trans people or people of color and how they've not done their due diligence. And somebody called them out and was like, how are you going to write about this if you don't even have these people in your writing staff, on your team behind the scenes, right? So I think, again, it just goes back to you can't serve a certain market if you don't have these people in-house. Uh, and that's why it's important. Because uh, imagine as a company how many more people you could be reaching, how many more clients. You know, maybe you have 100 now, uh, but if you bring in people that you want to serve and uh, imagine how much that could double or triple. To me, it's simple business, period. Yeah. And we're seeing it in a way more and more through our clients who are coming to us to generate content and they're trying to make efforts to make sure that everyone is represented in their content, especially the people that they're trying to reach. They, you know, they can't reach them with just the the same content that they've been using forever that features, you know, only only one type of person or or one group. So now they need to or they, they want to expand and, and make sure that everyone is represented. So, yeah, I think that it definitely is indicative of, of that shift. And then there's the, the aspect where it's true that companies that do implement DEI initiatives, programs, and do so effectively, it does result in, in better performance. So there's some, some of the data. I can, I can run through some of the statistics here, but teams are 158% more likely to understand target customers when they have at least one member who represents their target's gender, race, age, sexual orientation, or culture. For management, when there's diversity in management, on average, 38% more revenue than companies with lower diversity. And then finally, organizations in the top 25% when it comes to gender diversity among executive leadership teams are 21% more likely to be profitable and 27% better at creating value. Now, I know that's a lot of numbers and data, and that's not what we're here to talk about, but it's the, the science is, is there, but what do you think is actually happening in these organizations? Like more on like the granular, granular level for this to happen, to lead to these business improvements. Like what, what changes are actually happening and what conversations are kind of being had at these organizations that are leading to more productive teams, better managers, and, and ultimately uh, better revenue? In my opinion, I think it's two things. One is any, any company wants to make sure their staff is happy, that they stick around, uh, low retention. I'm sorry. Yeah, low retention, right? And that's important. So when employees go into a space and they see people who look like them, or bare minimum, they, they feel seen, you're going to work harder. If you are uh, in a space that you feel like you're not heard, or there are a lot of microaggressions or things like that going on, you already have one step out the door and you care give to whatever's right about that company. You just, you're not going to put the work in because if you don't feel seen, if you don't feel heard, if you don't feel valued, 
you're not going to put in 110%. You're going to do the bare minimum that's going to get you by and get you your paycheck, period. People, I say it all the time, it doesn't matter business-wise or just human level. People just want to be seen and they want to be heard. Uh, and as you start to cultivate a more diverse, I guess, group or staff or whatever initiatives, uh, you're going to start to see that a little bit more because people are going to feel different. They're going to be, they're going to feel seen. They're going to feel heard. So I think that's a big part of it. Anywhere that I am, and I feel, you know, think about any time that you've gone into a space or whatever, you don't feel comfortable or things like that. Like you're not going to stick around. You're not going to want to be there. You're not going to feel comfortable, right? We all go to spaces where we feel comfortable. We we feel safe. It's the reason we have LGBTQ spaces, right? It doesn't mean we want to be separate. It's just sometimes we want to be seen and feel safe. It's the same thing. And companies that are making that change and really getting that are starting to see, you know, higher revenue, you know, happier employees, more productivity, all of that, uh, which is fantastic. And I'm, I'm happy that people are finally seeing those stats and uh, some, not all, hopefully we'll start to see more companies, but some companies now are really stepping up to the plate. So I think that's probably the biggest thing, actually, is just people want to be seen and they want to be heard. Ebony, one question I had in a lot of this research, a lot of the data, one thing that continues to come up time and time again is the fact that companies who are more diverse are fostering more inclusive environments tend to have better innovation. And innovation is kind of a difficult word to, um, to pin down, but the way that they're defining this in, in a lot of these statistics is basically the introduction of new views, new product lines, new ideas that are, that are leading to actual like additional revenue. Where does that, that benefit come from, from an innovation standpoint? Oof, I love this. And I love the words that you're using too, like innovative, because I'm a big believer that diverse rooms only create innovation. Uh, because what you're seeing is it's not a whole bunch of yes people in the room. It's not a whole bunch of the same people who look alike or think alike, same background, same socioeconomic, same, you know, whatever. I always say that room, it's not, you're challenging one another, right? And not challenging, you know, in a bad way, but just challenging or questioning, you're listening empathetically, all of that. So you have, there's no other way for diverse rooms to be anything but innovative because they're going to wind up telling you things that, or they're going to be people in that room that are going to show you things that you never even thought of, right? I think a great example, and I think why people are really opening up to this and this innovation is one, people are experiencing it, but it opens up people to their blind spots. It really, really does. And I think that that's why people are adopting it. And I think that's why we're getting more innovation from these rooms. So even with me, you know, I'm, I'm not perfect, you know, just because I talk about DEI doesn't mean that I don't have my blind spots as well. Because, you know, diversity is more than just race, you know, or gender, it's all kinds of things. So when we created our tag scholarship fund and creating the committee and the board description, uh, all of that, I had put in a certain amount that the board had to bring in every year or raise, and which is really, really standard stuff. And I remember it was a woman who came in, 
potential board member, now current board member, who brought it to my attention when walking out of the first meeting. And, you know, she's excited about it, but she keeps going back to that number. And I'm like, I knew immediately. I knew exactly what she was trying to communicate without really saying it. And it was, I left out a certain socioeconomic group right off the, right off the bat. And it was not my intention. But why I'm saying this is, is because that woman is a Black woman who used to work with like low income and homeless people, you know, to help them attain jobs and housing and things like that. So I don't have that mindset. But because I have this woman on my board, we were able to make some changes, right? We were able to approach the organization a little bit differently, change the language. We, you know, it's not, wow, it's the most innovative idea, right? <laughs> but it gave us new ideas in a new way, uh, which I think is kind of the same as innovation. It's just a new way or a unique way or a different way of doing things and doing yeah. it successfully. I can't help but but uh, draw some parallels to an instance that's mentioned in uh, Jim Collins' book called Built to Last, where he basically looks at the history of companies in the United States who've had staying power, who've been around for over 100 years. And mm. one of 3M's core principles is innovation. The way that they actually drive that home in a measurable way is that for each business unit within the company, 20% of that business unit's revenue uh, has to come from a product that was introduced in the past five years, which is very interesting. So I can't help but draw parallels there to, you know, where we are here and now, where diversity is such a central component of the modern day you know, brand, the modern day SaaS company. It doesn't really matter. But when we think about driving towards staying power, towards real you know, brands that that uh, persist through different market conditions and different you know social climates innovation and a culture of unique perspectives, bringing ideas to the table, like that is so interconnected to that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a good amount of companies last year, especially, uh, and maybe even people, I think some people just reinvented themselves as well. But uh, I think a lot of people had opportunity last year with the pandemic to look at that exactly. Uh, and I think some people came out with a new look on life and uh, opportunities for innovation. I know that we did, you know what I mean? Uh, and I hope, I hope that more companies kind of were able to reinvent themselves and see uh, the importance of diversity. But yeah, I got to check out that book. I've never heard of it. Yeah, I'm thinking of how it can even go in the opposite direction and just cause harm if there's, if, you know, there's a singular voice in the room. I think of I hope I'm not messing up the, the facts of the story here, but I remember learning in college about the story of um, the people who produced or invented or created the, the automated sink um, for public bathrooms. And it was, you know, generally just um, white people in the room and they didn't ever test it or have anyone else in the room. And as it turned out, people with, with darker skin colors, the sink was not receptive. It, the automatic sensor did not pick it up. So then a lot of backlash there, recall, like replacing everything. So there is one, a PR um, nightmare. And then two, you're going to lose money on that. So innovation, while that's the, the positive, it can also, can also hurt you negatively when you're, yeah, when you have a singular voice a in the room. Risk mitigation component as well. So admittedly, 
Coley is, is just beginning its, its journey um, in, in DEI. Part of that was our marketing team met with you. I think it must have been a couple months ago now, just to kind of pick your brain on, on what we can do better, best ways to go about it, like increasing representation and, and going about DEI and, and promoting our DEI initiatives. But one thing that you really zeroed in on, and, and as I was talking to the team before I talked to you today, they were like, I really, you know, this point really stuck with me that Ebony was really driving home. And that was, it's not about what you do, but it's about how you do it. Like in the context of DEI and, and business, could you expand on that, please? Sure. I think it just falls down to intentionality. That's, that's what I mean. It's one thing to have good intentions. We all do, right? But that doesn't get anything done. It's like that saying, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. I didn't really, I mean, we always knew what that meant, but when I started doing this work, it, it really, really hit me. I just had a different meaning to it. And it's about intentionality, right? So if one of your goals is to increase, I don't know, more people of color employees or even clients or things like that, great. You know that that's what you want to do. This is where intentionality comes in. This is where the research comes in. You can't just stick a black person or a you know a Latinx person on a brochure and hope for the best, right? Uh, that's not how we should do things. We need to research, research, research. Why is it working for this company? That's our competition, right? How are they getting these people and we're not? It takes work. It takes practice to really embody what diversity means to you and your company. So yeah, it's. It's not about what you do. You can do a lot of things. You can check off a lot of boxes and say, oh, we put this person in. We now have these many people. We've done this because it's not authentic and that will never last. Being intentional brings in authenticity, period. So if that means you have to wait another year to bring in more people of color, because you need to come up with a better game plan, then that's what it's going to be. That's what it should be. It should never be rushed. And you should make sure either in-house you have someone that is committed to it, or you bring in, you know, a consultant or whoever the case might be. These are the type of people that can come in and introduce you to those blind spots, get an assessment of your company. And then that's when you can be intentional about how you do things. That's the thing is about how. You, we all talked about diversity without tokenizing, right? That's a, that's a huge thing. Um, when you tokenize, you completely leave out the whole how you do it. What you just did was you just filled in a filler for looks, optics, whatever the case is. And unfortunately, it doesn't really lead us anywhere. And you're not going to get a great return on investment. So it's about the action plan and actually taking the time to figure out what works, what doesn't. Use your people, ask what's working for them and just go from there. But it's important. It's really, really important to be intentional. We're, we are intentional about the smallest things. So we can absolutely be intentional when it comes to our businesses, the people that work for us. And again, just showing them that they're being seen and being heard. Yeah, Ebony, that, that very much hits home with me. I mean, as, as you know, our DEI air quotes strategy to date has basically been when something horrible happens in the world or in the United States to a population that was, that's represented at Coley, make almost a, what I would categorize as a very random show of 
support, but there was, it wasn't part of any sort of real framework. There weren't any sort of like quantitative goals to it. There wasn't much consistency. And as a result of that, where, you know, my intentions or our leadership team's intentions may have been very positive, the framework and the longer term support for cultivating a a progressive organization that's actively thinking about inclusion, as well as just hitting headcount goals around diversity and like really making sure that we're building objective criteria around promotional paths for, you know, say women versus uh, women and men together. So there's not any potential ambiguity around, um, around the promotional path and how those decisions are made. I mean, this is such a you know, nuanced, challenging subject. And um, I'm, yeah, I'm really happy we have you in our corner. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm happy that you all want to do the work, you know, and people who are listening, I feel that Coley is a really great example. I mean, we are literally right at beginning stages, which is beautiful because maybe, you know, episode 30, we can check back in and yes. we can talk a little bit more. But why I appreciate you all is because you decided to go beyond just the, oh, let's have somebody talk to us about it. And then, okay, we checked our box off. We talked about diversity this year. Let's keep it moving, right? You all sat down and said, okay, well, many of you actually followed up with me individually and stuff, which I love when that happens because that means that people are really thinking about it. But you all reached out to say, okay, we realize we got to do more. We can't just be like, okay, Black Lives Matter and you know, we're not about, you know, anti, or we're not about Asian hate or whatever, all the things, right? You all are like, no, we have to actually exude this, not just talk about it, but exude it. Uh, and you all are taking the next step to make sure that it's part of your culture. And that I would say to any company, this is exactly where you should start because uh, the trainings and things like that are fantastic, but it's ongoing work. It's ongoing. And that's exactly what you all have picked up on. Uh, and that's what I appreciate about you all as well. Uh, not just because I'm working with you, but it's just great to see in a young company, youngish company at that, yeah. you know, take this on. I think where this really became, started to become very real for me is this idea of creating an environment that was truly acknowledges people's like different upbringings, different backgrounds, different ethnicities sexual preference, whatever, whatever it might be. Uh, even the, the survey drove it home. We'd, we'd recently done a survey and we don't need to get too deep into it. But I, I think it, it, as a leader in the organization, you know, hearing that you know, certain groups of employees maybe hadn't felt uh, like the criteria for promotion wasn't, uh, could have been more objective or you know, they'd experienced, people of color had experienced some level of microaggressions. Like, I mean, what kind of leader doesn't pay attention and acknowledge those things? Like that is, that is just, that hit me so hard, but yeah, I mean, Hey, we have a lot of work to do. I get it. I totally yeah. get it. And, and that's why these are good. You would have never, you would have walked around and never known why within a few years you still haven't reached the diversity goals. You know what I mean? Totally. It's important. You know, I think that's anyone. I um, I had to change the way I spoke to some of my employees because then I didn't even realize the way that I was doing it. I just, yeah. sometimes I'm just like blunt. Uh, and sometimes my humor is also like a little dry. So people don't know if I'm joking or not. 
Uh, and I know that it's not, we're not talking about DEI, but it was one of my employees that was like, you know, you, I feel like sometimes you talk to me like you're angry or I can't tell, you know, if you're being serious or whatever. And I was like, wow, I didn't know I was coming off this way. Because yeah. in my mind, I'm like, I feel like I'm the best, you know, boss in the world, you know? But if this is how I'm coming off, then I need to like check myself. And yeah, I, I get it. It was, and it was heartbreaking for me because I'm like, oh my God, I don't want any anyone to feel a certain way. But these things happen when you're running a company. You know, uh, just you are trying to do everything and be everything to everyone. Um, and sometimes we just drop the ball, you know? Yeah, for sure. Let's uh, let's shift back to talking about the importance of representation for marketing teams. Well, that's been a, a hot button issue over the last few years. Um, and I love what you said about about uh, certain you know, groups of consumers struggling to, to really connect with a brand because they just don't see themselves represented within the actual content that's put forward that's acting as the connection point between you know, them and, and a brand. I mean, how would you, if you were coming in to consult us and we were a consumer brand that like sold shoes or something like that, you know, what might you look for or what would be some foundational steps you would, you would look at taking? As far as reaching diverse markets? Yeah, ensuring that you're, you know, that the representation is, is strong, that you're committing to it as a team and as a company in a way that's, that's intentional. Sure. Well, uh, first, it goes back to having that diverse room. Uh, and looking uh, in your room and seeing who's in it uh, and are the people that you want to reach as you look around are they in the room and if not what do you need to do to bring them into the conversation so maybe they can't be in the room but how do you bring them into the conversation and if you can bring them into the room that's probably the first step is to, is to make sure that they're the people you want to reach are there the second uh, would definitely be yeah, look at look at your language, look at your images. A lot of times I tell people, uh, you know, every now and then you should just go on your website, your marketing info, your social media, whatever, see what language is out there. Because if you're saying, man, you know, we've noticed that, you know, this demographic's always buying these shoes, but for some reason we can't get these folks. What's the language that you're using? What's the imagery that you're using? Also, Research that too. A really simple example, you know, let's say you want to have a party or, you know, and maybe it could be a frat. I don't really know. Just some work thing. You want to have a party and you're like, I want to bring out as many people as possible. Let's have some free, something free. Let's do free beer or whatever, right? So if I'm walking, you know, down the hallway and I see, oh, there's this networking event and I see free beer or whatever, I'm not even going to lie right off the bat. I'm going to be like, this is going to be majority white people, majority white men. And I know that seems like really, oh, she's just being, you know, stereotypical. It's not that I'm being stereotypical. It's just, that's what I've always seen. And if you see the stats too, literally, and I, I apologize. I don't have the exact stats, but it's something like, you know, white men is at least 60%, you know, beer is their drink of choice. And then like black women, it's, it's super low, right? Or even just women in general. I mean, that sounds really like silly, right? But it's something that you really need to think about. 
Like if I want to see more black women at this event, then maybe that's not the way to go. I'd say black women don't drink beer. I love a great IPA. Um, but immediately think about it. When you think about the Bud Light commercials and everything, who do you see in these commercials having fun and in bathing suits or whatever? So not even change your language, but put a little research into, okay, why is this not really hitting? You know, oh, we put these ads in these black neighborhoods, but we're still not getting anything. Something's missing. And that's where you need to put in the research and maybe put in the research with language and images as well. I mean, there's other things that you can be doing, but bare minimum, just start there. Ebony, um, since we brought you on as a consultant and advisor, we've began to form the, the Coley DEI committee. So I'm curious, what aspects of, of that committee are intentional? Like what steps are being taken? Like just even in the formation of, of that committee that, that you think other companies should, should either follow or, or consider? Like what steps did we take to, to try to make it as intentional as possible? Sure. I mean, the first thing you all did was uh, admit that you needed to do it, right? It's like any <laughs> any issue or whatever you need to admit first and foremost and say, okay, we need to do this. We, we see how important it is. We care about our employees um, and we care about how people feel when they're here. We just don't know how to do it, right? So you started there and then you figured out, okay, we need help with this. I'm not, we're not perfect. How do we do that? Uh, and then our paths, you know, crossed and, you know, we were lucky in that way. But if you don't have that same uh, luck, then, you know, do some research, see what other companies around you are doing, who they're using, or put it in the budget to hire, you know, people that have this experience, whatever the case might be. With Coley, we, again, I mentioned we're at the very beginning stages, but I like the fact that I've had, I've joked before this podcast that I've seen you all so many times, but those initial meetings are so important because it allows not only me, but, you know, you all to do assessment of the company. I think it's really important. Even if you aren't doing DEI, I think any company should be doing yearly assessments uh, to find out what their employees are thinking, to make sure there aren't things that you're not aware of going on. Uh, so just that first step alone, I would encourage anyone to do. So Coley is definitely on its way. And then during that time, we also said, hey, when you fill out the survey, let us know if you're also interested in being on the team. I believe that brings in genuine and passionate people that want to see this happen. Uh, instead of just saying, hey, we need about five people. If nobody raises their hands, you know, like you were in class, remember when you're like little and they're like, I'm just pick. Yeah, nobody wants to be somewhere they don't want to be. So I think that that was really great because I believe the committee is going to be really dedicated to seeing the culture change a little bit at Coley. So I think that's a great place to start is to make sure that you get passionate individuals, make sure you get a clear assessment uh, and then that you are open with your employees. That's the biggest thing is that you are open. So I know at the next committee meeting, we're going to be, you know, sharing the survey, sharing the assessment. You know, you never want to hide things. And then on the journey, I know you all are going to be communicating with your, your staff and saying, okay, here's the goals for the year. And this is where we hope to be. Uh, nothing should ever be a secret. Everybody should know exactly what's going on. So they see your commitment and 
the people that need to be seen and heard are. And they're hearing and seeing the effort that you're doing. Because not everyone that's on this committee, you know, is going to be an other, right? But those others need to see that you have their best interests at heart. So I think you, I, I think we're in a great, a great place to be. And I would encourage anyone uh, listening to this, if you are thinking about the, uh, you know, look no further than the efforts of Coley and get on the bandwagon uh, and let's do this because diversity is the future and diversity is good for business. Yeah, I'm excited to watch it flourish and grow. Um, I think the, the foundation is super solid and, and I'm glad, um, you know, the team is getting involved. I think that buy-in is super important, like you said. Well, thanks so much for, for joining us. We had so much fun hanging out and talking. Um, when's the, the next issue of TAG coming out? Yes. So uh, we are bi-monthly. So it's our July, August issue. It's our top girl summer issue. Also known uh, from the great poet, Megan Lee Stallion, Hot Girl Summer. Comes out next week. I don't know when this comes out. So uh, July 19th-ish. It will be out so you can see the feature online on tagmagazine.com, T-A-G-G magazine. Uh, and you can also go on the website and get a subscription and we can uh, mail the, the magazines right to your mailbox. Uh, so yeah, it will be out in a week. So please go to the website. Uh, we'd love to uh, have you comment on the articles and, and all of that. So thank you. Thank you for asking that. Yeah, of course. Everyone check it out. It's, it's really fun content really engaging, very colorful website, which I like. Um, but Ebony, thank you so much for joining us. Um, and don't forget to check out Tag Magazine. That's T-A-G-G, -G, double G. <laughs>